0: hello and welcome to myth MythMakers myth Makers is the podcast for fantasy fans and fantasy creatives brought to you by the oxford center for fantasy my name is julia golding i'm an author but also director of the center
1: and I'm Jacob Renneker. I'm a fantasy uh, scholar, an enthusiast, and uh, I work in creating fantasy uh, board games and trading card games.
0: And today, in honor of the arrival of the Year of the Rabbit on the 22nd of January, Jacob and I are devoting this program to discussing the role of rabbits in fantasy. Um, now, the first thing, Jacob, I came across when I when I looked into this, is the big difference between the hare and the rabbit. Um, that would be another program. But the, I think one of the reasons for this is that in terms of UK mythology, rabbits are actually a fairly new arrival. One story is that they came over with the Normans. And the second is that they came over before that with the Romans. And were very much regarded as a well, a food source. Um, you know, they were they had warrens, which they managed, eat, and obviously rabbit fur was used in cloaks and all that kind of thing. So they're a relatively new arrival in terms of the UK. So I reckon that's why they've missed out on a mythological status. So Jacob, what were your first thoughts when you came to thinking about rabbits in fantasy?
1: yeah i i was immediately hit with the same issue and looking through the different you know uh, familiar fantasy images that i had in my mind of what i just figured all were rabbits <laughs> and turns out they weren't that is not technically uh the case and so yeah i had a kind of a crash course in um uh what is it lapid uh is that the the technical name, whatever, whatever their technical. Latin.
0: You're thinking it's down the Latin route, yeah.
1: Yeah, for yeah, for for uh, genus uh, and species purposes, I had a crash course in uh, in r- hares versus rabbits, and I think yeah, that one of the reasons that uh, that you said was that rabbits are fairly newcomers to um, the UK. Um, And with hares, and I think also socially, from my education uh, this past week or so on rabbits, I'm by no means an expert, um, but that uh, hares generally are more independent and only associate in in groups of maybe one or two, um, whereas rabbits have warrens. And so there's different... You know types of behavior uh, associated socially, and so that fits. And I think with some of the uh, stories that we'll talk about today, that certainly yeah. fits well with the technical rabbits versus the hares that I was having to kind of filter out of this conversation. Who do definitely come across as more independent uh, functioning on their own? Yeah.
0: And the other thing about hares, of course, is they get all the exciting stuff of you know as mad as a March hare um to them whereas there's definitely a coziness to rabbits which i i don't know if in the chinese culture which is obviously incorporated it very importantly as part of their um well you know their zodiac their cosmology whether or not the same associations are true over there but anyway let's think about rabbits in fantasy and the first place we're going to stop because we are the Oxford Centre is with potentially the most famous fantasy rabbit. That is the white rabbit from Alice in Wonderland, who is always late um, with his, his um, pocket watch. And he is the one who is actually the call to adventure for Alice and, of course, follows him down. The rabbit hole. So, what do you think about um, the qualities of the white rabbit and its role in that story? What's what use has Lewis Carroll made of our, you know, our friendly garden creature in that case?
1: Yeah, uh, with the white rabbit, I thought it was interesting that Carroll uses both a rabbit and a hare, right? And I'm sure that that's intentional. Yeah. Um, that that particular difference. Um, in terms of the rabbit itself uh you certainly have a sense and it's it's hard to talk about the white rabbit in my mind without talking about the hair as well. So we'll just I'll I'll mention in passing the hair but or just for the purposes of comparison. Uh, So with the rabbit, yeah, it seems to be more anxious and I more tightly wound, uh which perhaps is uh mirrored in its pocket watch, right? Mm -hmm. Uh its personality versus the hare who is not <laughs> tightly wound, right? Or is what, is a different type of winding? Uh, and so the the rabbit, yeah, is is constantly you know, his character kind of seems to be uh, anxious um, and serves the function of a herald, really, right? For the king and queen of hearts. Um, so yeah, yeah so it's interesting that that, you know, that that is the portal into this world was this character who is the herald of the monarchs for this larger area or one of the larger areas that she is kind of inducted to
0: yes and usually um one of the reasons why in Lewis Carroll is you know there is somebody with a rabbit in his real life and he he puts it into his book there's a lot of um in jokes and coding that goes on but um extrapolating from that I think the rabbit is you know I think what he's actually picking up is if you actually watch a rabbit <laughs> they have that kind of twitchy nose that they hardly still and i think there's an element of the anxious bureaucrat the person who is serving um the term again, really isn't you know it's a difficult no wonder he's so worried that he's going to be late so and also he's constantly running on ahead so is that sense of um restless um and uh you know he's he's he is the the fidgety side so i think that's a very good way because as you say a lot of the other characters alice meets are a hair but people like the the caterpillar and the cheshire cat they're all quite zoned out uh, and that energy is a good one to actually start an adventure okay so that's you know the lovely white rabbit we'll leave him um leave him where he is uh, running around wonderland um And I suppose the next most famous stop in fantasy literature for me is Beatrix Potter. And here I will bring um, evidence number one, which um, this sits on my mantelpiece. It's actually a money box. Um, But of course it's um, one of Beatrix Potter's rabbits. There are a number of them. We have um, obviously the Flopsy bunnies, um, Benjamin rabbit, Benjamin Bunny sorry yeah. and um Peter Rabbit so clearly in the world of Beatrix Potter rabbits are absolutely central where you get that association of the cuteness of rabbits and also the family of rabbits it's one of the illustrations i remember best uh, the peter rabbit story is uh, the mum the mother rabbit with all her little baby rabbits and then she's sort of pushing Peter Rabbit into a, a jacket it looks a bit small for him, which I think many children have experienced that. Um so there's a there's an association between sort of children and the rabbit family, and it's all quite and you know, it's the family pet. There's a sense of many people would have had as kids family pets. So there's that coziness, but what happens in the story? It's actually a bit like um Bambi or one of those things where a child is suddenly confronted with the fact chance of death. in Mr. McGregor's garden so it's actually it's got that darker side and isn't his father um I remember correctly you've got younger children than me but I see his father's already ended up in a pie exactly yeah so it, it is it is a dark world um and Beatrix Potter was not sentimental even though her pictures are very sweet and beautiful there is always this memory of nature read in tooth and claw Thank you, Tennyson, for that wonderful phrase. Um, in in her world of rabbits, do you have a favorite Beatrix Potter rabbit? Is, is...
1: I think Peter. Yeah, P- Peter's the, the iconic. And I have. I brought mine again. So I have a, a almost three year old, and so he has his uh, Peter Rabbit with his jacket, who's, which is a little short, and uh, another little figure. Um, there that actually tells stories. Uh, This is, I know we'll be talking about tips later, but uh, for those of you with children uh, and who appreciate stories, but you don't always like reading them stories or the same stories, uh, there's this wonderful little uh, uh, device called a Tony box, T-O-N-I-E box. uh, And they have these little figures and coded to the figures are stories. So there's, uh, so you can have, uh, a narrator recite to your child a uh, story of Peter Rabbit, so you don't have to <laughs> all the time keep oh. it busy. Well, is, I do, I do know what you mean, though.
0: When you've, when you've said it, you've read them a news story, and they actually speak six times. I can see it having a role. It's nice.
1: And, and they can do it on their own, right? So yeah. it's, <laughs> yeah. it's great entertainment. Anyway, so it's available. Peter Rabbit can be in your child's ear as constantly as they want uh if you have other things that you need to be getting onto um that's just so parenting as well as a uh story tip um regarding Peter Rabbit so yeah so that one um for for Peter it's your know, iconic and i think i was you know thinking through I was, I was actually looked to some of the uh, you know early reviews of Peter Rabbit um and some uh, critical responses and uh one of the uh, kind of trends that I noted was that this was, P- Potter kind of created a new form of animal fable where the anthropomorphic animals behaved as real animals that had true instincts, like you were saying, mm-hmm. uh, Julia, with a like, nature red and tooth and claw. Like, so you have animals acting like, more like animals than just humans, you know, anthropomorphized animals in a, you know, a medieval setting or in a whatever you know, acting as humans this was kind of more of an attempt uh to give them an actual animal flavor um with the animal fable um and i think uh another uh critic noted that with the illustrations especially right that these were anatomically correct animals uh they they spoke but they're clearly they have the proportions of rabbits right and the other animals there that are that are speaking so and then they call i like this phrase it was the perfect marriage of word and image uh and a triumph of fantasy and fact so uh you have these blending of the natural uh world that we experience and this fantasy world kind of woven together in a unique way there um so yeah peter for me and uh something that i came across oh this was um uh several months ago that when you mentioned rabbits it was one of the first things that came to mind uh, again, as a tie to the uh, Oxford Center for Fantasy, is uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I came across a C.S. Lewis quote uh, where he's talking about Peter Rabbit when he's uh, in preface to Paradise Lost uh, when oh, he's discussing okay. Milton. Yeah, you're ready for this? Yeah, so this is, yeah, Great I remember
0: being shot up here. Milton Beatrix Potter. <laughs>
1: Right, right. right. So, so um, yeah. So, what Lewis was doing is he was addressing in Preface to Paradise Lost one of his um, uh, uh, predecessors um, uh, at Madeline College had written something about uh, the you know the great moral message of Milton uh, in Paradise Lost is uh, the most universal and useful, which was that obedience. Makes people happy and disobedience makes people miserable. So they said that that's what the the big, large scale. That's kind of what the message is of Paradise Lost. Uh, there was a uh, contemporary critic to Lewis who kind of was poking at this particular statement, um, and they said that this amazed him because it was a vague statement uh they, they felt that this moral of paradise lost was kind of vague um so this was lewis's response was uh and i have it uh quoted here would you like the quote or you want to paraphrase? Uh, go for, like it. Go to for it go for the quote no, okay. go for it. um all right so he says uh responding to this critic who called that you know reading a paradise lost as vague um uh, lewis says uh dull it amazed him because dull if you will or platitudinous Uh, or harsh, or or jejun, but how vague. Has it not rather the desolating clarity and concreteness of certain classic utterances we remember from the morning of our own lives? You know, go to bed, write out, I must do as I am told a hundred times, or do not speak with your mouth full. How are we to account for the fact that great modern scholars have missed this so dazzlingly simple? Uh, It is, after all, the commonest of themes. Even Peter Rabbit came to grief, because he would go into Mr. McGregor's garden. So you have this tie ah. of the Garden of Eden and Paradise Lost and Mr. McGregor's garden that Peter Rabbit is in and saying that the the, the message that Lewis is drawing in here is that obedience to his mother, uh, Mrs. Rabbit, uh, to stay out of the garden, to do not go into Mr. McGregor's garden, right? Um, that that is met with, Uh, consequences of misery for peter because of disobedience that was that moral message and uh, essentially he saw that functioning in the same um moral sphere as paradise lost so for lewis or for yeah so for for c.s lewis he seems to he plays you know can switch gears between beatrix potter's peter rabbit and john milton right and so i think most people and scholars wouldn't necessarily make that sort of connection but that's something that fascinates me about Lewis is how he's able to put these stories into conversation with each other and the sort of interesting uh, <laughs> results that you get when you take seriously children's literature uh, and compare it to any other uh, literature.
0: So let uh, give me three thoughts Jacob. The first is I do have a doctorate on the Miltonic Echoes in Beatrix Potter. That'd be great. Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class? Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace, starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies, and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing. The second thing uh, is that there's a difference here between allegory and applicability, the old um, uh, sort of Tolkien and Lewis conversation, which is that the medieval use of animals like the Parliament of Fowls and things was allegorical. And what Beatrix Potter is So you could apply um, Peter going into Mr. McGregor's Garden as a garden of Eden echo. It's applicable, but it's obviously not an allegory of that because it's just not. It's 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 is it's a it's not a one-on-one fit that you would expect of an allegory. Thought, which moves us on from Beatrix Potter to C.S. Lewis himself, is that um, raising the Narnia treatment of animals and. Putting them alongside Beatrix Potter, you can see that that is where I think Lewis is coming from. Um, so his Reaper Cheek, for example, feels like a kind of swashbuckling Beatrix Potter character uh, in many ways. Um, so I, I'm not sure he's the only she's the only Victorian doing this or Edwardian, um, but it does feel as though Narnia and the world of talking animals wouldn't exist without Beatrix Potter. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And you know, Lewis, you know, in, in um, "Surprised by Joy," he talks about three specific intra- you know instances in his early life where he had this feeling of you know quote joy this this kind of sharp, uh, distinctive sense um, that he describes as as, as joy. Um, and one of those three, you know, one was the little toy garden uh, that he had. Um, kind of this 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 world in miniature. Um, the other uh, was the poem by Longfellow, the saga of King Olaf. Um, and then the the third of these was uh, the idea of autumn in the Tale of Squirrel Nutkin by Beatrix Potter. So that oh, yes. was one of his one of yes. his specific you know instances that were kind of set him on his quest for joy in life was uh, this experience with a Beatrix Potter book. So he was, uh, he was was very tied to uh, this Beatrix Potter. He said, I think often when he was uh, sick, he would read Beatrix Potter, even as an adult, like when he, when he had the flu and he would, you know, laid up in bed, he would always return to, uh, to Beatrix Potter. And he even tried, you know, made a pilgrimage out, uh, but unfortunately was not able to uh, meet Beatrix Potter. uh, you before, can today, yeah,
0: so. uh, yeah. You can today if your uh, people are listening to this and come to the UK. You can actually stand on the beach uh, at Keswick and look at you know the picture of all the squirrels on sort of paddling over to the island. You get exactly that view. It's, mm-hmm. It was such a brilliant, as well as her animal pictures, she captured the real places. She wasn't creating a fantasy fantasy world in that sense. It was right. yeah. um, very often the garden, the Lake District, and and others. Um, wonderful stuff so um i also that reminded me of boxen and the creation of boxen with his yeah. brother which of course was an was that was that not an animal world an animal kingdom as well of sorts
1: exactly yeah right no it wasn't they had separate lands you had a, you did have a rabbit land they had these kind of different apportioned kingdoms and so ah. they didn't have a specific rabbit land and rabbit characters in boxen but this was different so yeah so clearly influenced by their interest um the lewis children's interest in beatrix potter uh but this theirs was kind of the just animals set in you know medieval society didn't necessarily act as animals um but but certainly you see influence there and uh yeah and and you do have differences i don't know if, if this is a good time to if you want to take a side uh quest into narnia a brief side quest uh for rabbits I
0: is it not the animal uh, the Christmas party that gets turned to stone don't they have rabbits sitting at the table right. Yeah
1: yeah yeah is yeah, that, is yeah so that of... that. there's two others oh, um, okay. one of them is in yeah uh, the horse and his boy um, uh, Shasta gets when um the there's the impending attack on Arkenland uh Shasta gets there's a group of rabbits that he has spread the word that the attack is coming so you have rabbits specifically there as again kind of heralds as you did in mm-hmm. um in lewis carroll um, and then in the last battle this is and this is interesting for lewis's world building within narnia um there's different types of animal creatures and sentience uh, or moral action possible, uh, in, in animals. So, um, this was, uh, so you had Jill, do you have the section here that says, Jill had succeeded in shooting a rabbit, and then, parenthetically, not a talking rabbit, of course. There are lots of ordinary kind about in Western Narnia, uh, end parentheses, and it was already skinned, cleaned, and hanging up. So there's, (laughs) so you have these kind of, like, sentient (laughs) rabbits, that can talk and uh, and then these non-sentient rabbits that are, you're okay to eat uh, <laughs> and skin. So there's a differentiation well, kind yeah. of a hierarchy even within each animal grouping, uh, which is really interesting. I don't know if that was just because if this was, you know, kind of, a last story. If he's kind of like thinking this through on his feet, right? So he wasn't as meticulous of a world builder as uh, Tolkien was, right, by any stretch of the word. But no. I, I wonder if this is kind of him thinking through, okay, how how do animals carni- carnivorous animals in Narnia? What do they eat? and are they eating other kind of these sentient creatures that we've come to (laughs) know and love, or is there something, is there another way possible? So this seems to be kind of a foray into uh, a bit of world building kind of differentiation that I don't see done quite carefully in Narnia, because that's not what Lewis's uh, purpose is, but I, I do see kind of a nod towards kind of a thinking through of how this world functions with, with, speaking animals and, non, and and the possibility of non-speaking animals in that world.
0: Don't you think it's also terribly practical? Many children of that era and probably even today experience of there are some animals on the small holding and are pets and there are some that you don't name because you might end up eating them um, and you wouldn't, you know... Uh, I can imagine that's a very, having come through the war and with the evacuees staying up at um, the kilns and what have you, no doubt they would have looked for opportunities to have off ration book protein. So you don't want to name, don't want to name them Benjamin Bunny. You're me up. You know, I can see in a talk you a sort of practical solution into Narnia there. Okay. Um we've sort of gone to Narnia, but before we come up to close to the present time, the famous rabbit uh, is rabbit in Winnie the Pooh um obviously this is a rabbit who's based on a soft toy as are most of the creatures in that rather eclectic group um that around Winnie the Pooh. but rabbit there um is perhaps unlike the other rabbits that we've met in that he is a kind of good friend sound person, um not silly or scatty. He's he's a sort of as serious as owl, but just a good sort. Um, I think he's also most famous in the story um where Winnie the Pooh comes from tea and gets stuck, doesn't he, in the window because right. he's eaten too much. And and so Rabbit just goes round the back and goes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh well uh, or the door, whatever it is, the hole to get into the house. So um, that seems to be playing a little bit against type in that so far have been um, the twitchy go to the garden and get eaten. <laughs> he seems to be a different kind of creature.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, Rabbit comes across, yeah, less as kind of a scattered um, and more of a clever but in the wrong kind, <laughs> a kind of an incompetent uh, cleverness in sense, because, you know, he has a few different plans. Uh, he doesn't like change, right? And so when uh, Kanga comes in, he's very uncomfortable with new <laughs> additions to their group, right? So he has this, this, this elaborate plan to to scare Kanga away by hiding Rue. Uh, and trying to create uh, an issue where Kanga would want to leave, yeah. um, and he also has a uh, you know a, a plan to unbounce Tigger uh, that doesn't <laughs> end up working out. Um, so he so he's he's the one like he, he seems to be the practical uh, organizer, right? Where he tries to take the lead with the group, but never quite manages. And he sees himself as the one that Christopher can depend on. Yeah. So you have this kind of, you know, uh, hubris uh, of his own plans and kind of yeah. I do see the anxiety um, a bit similar to the White Rabbit, more emphasized in the Disney cartoon adaptation. Um, he, he does come across more as an anxious kind of a control freak, right? He, you don't. I don't get that sense as much in um, in in the book itself, but in the cartoon, definitely, he's kind of a worry wart, right? um with a short temper who just really is kind of agitated so he seems more rabbitish in uh in in the disney adaptation and what's interesting i think there is that you'll see at least in that adaptation rabbit is kind of placed as a foil for tigger so you have rabbit as kind of order and Tigger as chaos, right? So you have these two kind of like archetypal oh, okay. uh, images that keep like butting up against each other. Um, uh, that's a that's a ready-made source of conflict uh, for, you know, within the Hundred Acre Wood. So I, I think I thought that that was a interesting adaptation that actually works from a storytelling perspective. It's kind of leaning into some of those tendencies um, uh, within those characters.
0: And I think now we need to go to the... Uh, I suppose it's the pièce de résistance for rabbit in fantasy, which is the wonderful Watership Down, um, which I think shows us, it, it blows all the rest out of the water in a sense. It shows us a completely different way of doing a animal-based fantasy story. Um, I grew up at the time when the cartoon came out, the, the uh, absolutely terrifying, but very memorable um, adaptation with the famous Bright Eyes soundtrack, which I think went to number one for many weeks uh, when it was around. Um, And there he's dealing with um, myxomatosis um, and imagining what it's like to live in these sort of commune style um, rabbit warrens with different groups um, being moved on, being moved out, being killed. Um, and, again, you've got this line, uh, taking a different approach, obviously, to Beatrix Potter, but you've got rabbit behaviour interpreted through a sort of human anthropomorphic lens, but they aren't people. They are the relationships between the characters are are perceived more on a human level than one presumes a rabbit level. So did you remember, did you read it? Have you seen the film? How did you come across <clears throat> ship Down?
1: Yeah, my first encounter was with the film uh which was uh I think that some of the most memorable that kind of felt similar were uh The Rats of Nim. Yeah. Uh Cartoon yeah. the Don Bluth film. They, they came out I think around the same time or at least they did in my child's mind. Uh they're kind of linked there that also and um uh so so you know animals as protagonists um th- that were both not they wouldn't be, you know, Disney would not <laughs> release those films, right? There there's something about them that is that that you do have real threat, real terror, um, um, uh, real stakes, uh, clear stakes and haunting uh and there's sadness, right? There's real sorrow. Um and I think just a, a little later um you have the last unicorn that was released uh as well. So these kind of those three cartoons for me were kind of imbued my sense of what fantasy could be with sorrow right that there's this sense that later i came across you with know, when i'm reading in, in lord of the rings where he captures that really well is there's there, there's kind of this this, this under uh, undercurrent of sadness or sorrow yeah. um that everything else is kind of playing off of and against and so that what well, you don't necessarily get that with um a lot of the disney children films with uh, with animals as protagonists. So this was something, yeah, that, that's that was my exposure to it was in the cartoon and then uh, also then then later reading it as the book and then getting more into the culture itself and just being fascinated, uh, especially with the mythology, right? the the kind of like a native from the perspective of a rabbit, what mythology would look yeah. like from a rabbit's perspective fascinating. I don't know what what do you think, yeah, about the the world building? That uh, that Adams did there.
0: It's very recognisable on the downs. Right? It's very close to is set very close to where I actually live, and so there's a you get an acute sense of the landscape. Though his is not a, uh, is not in a mythical landscape in any sense. It's this is happening on the hill up behind your house um, sense, right. but it's only the beginning of a real environmental consciousness in that kind of animal fable. Um, because there is the sense of development moving people on and the introduction of this mysterious illness, which we know as myxomatosis, to wipe out rabbit colonies. Um, so I think it's it, it, it's extraordinary. And in a way, I think there are other fantasy series that have come on from that. They, they feel different, but like the Brian Jaquies Red Wall series, um, uh, that's more of a heroic animal tale take but these sort of almost operatically grand scale pieces where the animals are the heroes and taken very seriously I think is quite a strong thread within um, children's fantasy and sort of crossing over into uh, YA fantasy as well. Um, Yeah so I I just remembering it being uh, in my childhood is up there with Star Wars. I think it's because I was shocked I thought I was going to see a nice film about rabbits and I got a kind of rabbit Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the you apocalypse. know, it snuggles right. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's exactly what fantasy should do. It should shake you up. And so I think it's it's a really great book. And if people haven't read it yet yeah. or seen the film, um Please. I think it's it's well worth looking out as in the year of the rabbit, make it the thing to watch in the year of the rabbit.
1: Okay, yeah, so Julia, I was. I have really quickly. I went and, and got the Guardian review uh, when the book came out to oh, see okay. what they said initially. Um, and I know that it was turned down for those. You know, again, for the interesting for everyone, but for uh, creatives in particular, uh, is that uh, looking at the publication history of this book because it is wildly different, right, um, from the other animal-centric books. It, it's hard. It's hard to categorize. You can't just say that this is a quote oh, children's book. Um, because of some of the themes that it deals with Um, but uh, it was it was turned down from several publishers and then uh, finally found its way after several um, rejections and then ended up winning you know awards once it was published Um, so for those of you who are working on something just because you receive a rejection (laughs) keep going doesn't mean that it's that your work is not valuable Right. It's not the final word, right, right. Um, uh, but so the Guardian the, the Guardian review was was very positive. Um, and this is how it started out. This is great. It said it simply isn't possible. At this date, 1972, uh, you cannot write a story about rabbits 413 pages long and hold a reader riveted. But Richard Adams has done exactly that in Watership Down. This is a great book establishing a more than plausible and totally fascinating psychology and physiology for its rabbits together with their own mythology and language so uh, that if i if i could make somebody write something like that about anything that i wrote like i just put that you know stamp that on my tombstone and i might as well just like crawl into the grave because i think that that's i'd be tickled and happy to
0: <laughs> if, no, if somebody that <laughs> felt
1: that way about my well, well, i have not to right so uh, <laughs> this is, yeah, yeah. So that, like clearly this was something that for people who are looking at books and like world building and, and this person understood what the author was trying to do, right? And taking the author on their own terms. Um, and just like the world that was created there, uh, some people didn't quite get it because it didn't fit in with how they approached. They were probably thinking about when they picked up a book, we're thinking Beatrix Potter, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, or we're thinking you know Milne or you know anything else. But this was this was something that was definitely new, but it had its own logic to it, right? Um, and it was consistent, tried to be internally consistent, which is something that Tolkien, right, was was uh, mm-hmm. adamant about fantasy worlds creating. As the quality of a fantasy world uh, can be judged against its internal consistency, that was one of his uh, uh, right one of his criteria. Um, in on fairy stories so uh yeah so this is something that he does really well and just so i thought that was interesting to see what at the time people thought of the book and how revolutionary really it was uh in terms of just storytelling with animals
0: so um i've come up uh uk-based um origin stories and i'm 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 wondering what i don't know about rabbits i'm sure there's a lot but jacob did you come up with any um other own thoughts about rabbits in fantasy.
1: Yeah, uh there was uh velvetine rabbit uh was one I think we missed um earlier that was and that one that that's and that's another one that is for its simplicity I think the the theme and the mat like the subject matter there is is reality itself, right? What does it mean to be real? Uh and it's a it's a it's a bittersweet tale, right? Uh it, itself. So I think the tone of that one fits the film, you know, the kind of Watership down where uh, it's not dealing with a rabbit as like a rabbit, as an animal, as a creature. It is a stuffed you know animal. Um, it's a toy, but it's, what does it mean to be loved? You know, what, what love, what does love do to you as, as an, as an individual, right? So it's, it's, it's in a part, I think probably maybe you do have, like, I, I sense a little bit of allegorical, maybe seasoning <laughs> uh, on uh, on it. Certainly not a one-to-one uh, allegory, but you do have that kind of sense. Uh, t- for me, kind of comparing that to uh, Beatrix Potter, I feel there's a little bit more, I think, like mythic weight uh, in the Velveteen Rabbit. Of course, in part because a fairy does appear uh, at the end and grants the wish. So you, you do have fairy, the land of fairy and magic kind of intersecting with these kind of talking toys. Um, so in that way, it's kind of different from some of the other. Uh, so it's certainly different from uh, Winnie the Pooh um, in that you don't yeah. have kind of like fairy uh, and they, they don't, the, the animals themselves don't seem to be aware that they are toys. They think that they are actual living creatures, but we're kind of.
0: I beg your pardon, the they're not toys. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're really they're <laughs> friends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they are they are the way. Even though they
0: yeah. get on the way to bed.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. Bombed, yes, exactly. Exactly. So uh so so this is one that, that I think is like is is highlighting the distinction between the imaginary and the real world. But I do I do like that, right, that internally in Winnie the Pooh, you have creatures are are they how do they function versus how the narrator is seeing the creature's function in the story. Yeah. Um what is their yeah, sense yeah. of awareness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely, um, and so clever. So, Velveteen Rabbit is another one um, kind of from that uh, era, but the only other ones, uh, I think, kind of more contemporary, the Redwall books, that one was a, a kind of foundational series for me with fantasy growing up. I just really got into that series, and there aren't, yeah, the, you have a few rabbits there, um, but hares are by and far, there's hares in every book in the series, in the extensive series, but only a few is rabbits it? scattered throughout. Um, I, I
0: fear I may have pronounced his name wrong. Is it Brian Jax or Brian Jaquiz? I'm very Shakespearean. J- I, I was pronounced it Jax. Jax. Yeah, I know.
1: I pronounced it J- Jax, but I'm, uh, yeah, that, that was just how I pronounced it inside my head when I was.
0: Okay. And so apologies if uh, we've got it wrong. And also just uh, a correction in case someone's um, wanting to put it in the comments. I'm Grace Lewis's college's Maudlin. Not Magdalene. Maudlin,
1: not Magdalene, Yeah, as sorry, an old,
0: yep, old, old member of Maudlin, I better just say that before they chuck me out on my ear and say never yes, darken our doors again. You. Anyway, so thank going you. back to rabbits, um, any any red wall, anything else um, that you came up with? There was other,
1: yeah. I was thinking right. So Harry Potter has a, uh, kind of a brief reference. Hares though take on kind of a mythological, uh, magical dimension there. But there is one rabbit. I was thinking you know, like rabbits. I, I know that somebody's Patronus is a rabbit. Um, but it was so like Luna Lovegoods is a hare, yeah. Um, but um, Tonks Nymphadora Tonks is a jackrabbit, okay. Um, but that jackrabbit then transforms into a wolf because of her love for uh Lupin. So it starts as like herself as kind of a shape shifting character, her patrona shifts from initially being a jackrabbit, and perhaps that. You know, I think you do see that in her character as kind of a shifting uh, character, right? Kind of a clever, and that's where you really get, I think, in uh, in Watership Down when they're talking about the mythology and what rabbits represent. Um, uh, the trickster rabbit, right? The um, oh, El Herrera uh, character, this kind of archetypal, mm. the the first the first rabbit, kind of. Uh, that was uh, the from whom came all the world's rabbits that kind of first um myth- mythic rabbit uh was meant to be smart devious tricky and devoted to the well-being of his warren so there's you have this idea of like that rabbits are are wily trickster characters um and so you, i think you see that in tonks um uh, in Harry Potter, right? This, is this, this, this shifting, um, can't quite pin them down, but then she settles, kind of settles down, uh, when she finds Lupin and connects there with him. So that was one there. The only other ones, uh, a couple other ones, one was a Usagi Ujimbo, uh, which is a, a graphic novel, um, a comic book series, uh, where it takes a, you know, kind of anthropomorphic animals, standing in for humans at the beginning of the Edo period in Japanese history. Oh, um, and so it's, yeah, so he's a samurai. He's kind of, you know, based on a famous, uh, Japanese swordsman. Um, and where I in- first encountered this creature was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the cartoon, which was one of my favorites. Um, and so this, th- this rabbit character, when he came in, it was from a different franchise, um, uh, independent comic book, um, uh, uh, writer. So it didn't belong to a Marvel or DC, but one of the kind of few kind of islands of a kind of independent comic publishers as was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, was a, started as a comic book then was adapted into the cartoon. But this Yusagi Yojimbo was another independent comic. And so they had some crossover in the cartoon. And I remember when I saw that rabbit, in the cartoon uh, that it was uh, that I was stricken with how different that character seemed. And so then that introduced me into the larger uh, world um that the author Stan Sakai creates uh, in the comic series. so it's it, it, it it's really well done, right? And it's and it's there's it's it's drama, um it's it's action. it's uh, it's and it's serious. It's not you know like the Ninja Turtles cartoon that was kind of silly and bouncy. Um this one is is much more kind of like subdued and serious uh, in tone. so, that one, uh, so you saw Gyu Jimbo, um, And then the last one that I thought of uh, just kind of uh, randomly came up was Bugs Bunny. Um, and oh, I do yeah. if, if, if that world, yeah. if the Bugs Bunny world, Warner Brothers cartoon, if that, there are certainly fantasy <laughs> type rules in that world. So Bugs Bunny is the, the last kind of uh, elephant standing in plain sight but hiding in his cartoonish <laughs> form that's, I think, can technically yeah. be considered, I don't, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I, I don't usually think about that in the context of fantasy, but when I thought about it, I thought, yeah, I think we can make a case for those cartoons being fantasy storytelling as opposed yeah. to science fiction storytelling.
0: Yeah. so <laughs> I thought
1: realism. So.
0: Yeah. So what's going on there is the hunter and the hunted dichotomy, isn't it? picking up on the wily aspect and also he's he's a slightly cooler dude than someone like the one and he's the way he's 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 verging more towards a hare in terms of being bigger and sort of mm. longer ears and things, sort of ears. Um so I think Bugs Bunny has definitely his place in the year of the rabbit um, fantasy pantheon uh, if we're allowed such a thing so jacob just to sort of round it all up i mean we always have a section where we say where in all the fantasy worlds is the best place to be a rabbit um well i mean sorry we have a a general theme but today's is where to be a rabbit um where would you choose all the ones we've talked about i
1: yeah i was wrestling with that one because with some of these there's such terror, especially Watership Down.
0: Yeah, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's like the game, the Game of Thrones of w- world-wise of where you would exist and what would happen there. Um, but I thought, yeah. I know, with with the inclusion, if we if we do include Bugs Bunny, I would have to say the Warner Brothers cartoon world, because as a rabbit, I would never actually incur actual physical harm. Bugs Bunny is never hurt uh right the, no, it's always true. the hunter who is hurt so i if i could come across you know come off unscathed uh i think th- i think the rabbits have it off best in terms of uh doing things their own way uh perhaps that that would be fun without the sense of uh impending disaster or doom uh that sometimes uh is present in some of these other rabbit tales
0: yeah i think i'd probably i'd be a talking rabbit in narnia that's where I'd go. I wouldn't. I wouldn't get involved in this stuff going on at Care Paravel. I just have a little house somewhere with my friends, you know, and uh, living a living the rabbit life, uh, vegetarian, lots of kids. Um, no, that, I think that would be fun. Um, my
1: qu- I guess, my question for you is: Would you be an advocate for non-speaking rabbits in Narnia?
0: Oh, this. is... <laughs>
1: As a rabbit yourself, yeah, as I think a sentient this,
0: rabbit. This, this gets <laughs> me into political activism in Narnia. <laughs> yeah. I think you'd have to be, wouldn't you? Because I'm not sure there's much difference between a talking rabbit and a rabbit that hasn't yet talked. Um, we, we're not quite yeah, right. we're not clear on our boundaries here. So, yeah, freedom for rabbits from being hunted. Right. Uh, yeah, they all be vegans in, in, in Narnia. That would be the way to go so, and and finally, um, I thought we should introduce a new segment to have one fantasy tip uh, each time we're having one of our conversations, Jacob, And you can interpret that tip in whatever way you like. Um, so, do you have one tip to leave with the listeners, say?
1: Yeah,, uh, yeah, just actually, this past uh, past week or so, um I listened to the official uh, Rings of Power podcast. So I know we had a, oh. a session uh, here on the Oxford Center for Fantasy on Rings of Power, kind of evaluating it uh, as an adaptation and as a creative act in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and so um, I've been meaning to listen to this for a while because I knew it was official. So it's produced by Amazon. Um, and so it's it's completely official. And so they interview um, different uh, creators, right? They have the showrunners um, to talk about you know, their kind of philosophy for the series and what they're explaining, kind of what they're intending to do. And they do it um, each is, there's a series of eight with a bonus ninth episode, eight episodes, each kind of focusing on one of the different episodes of the season. Um, And uh, so every episode they bring the showrunners on at the end to kind of give a big picture overview of kind of the themes and what's happening there and the world itself. But then they also uh, interview somebody else Um, like one of the actors they have a few different actors that they interview to get to see you know what their creative process was um like um uh bear mccreary who's the uh, composer they interview him and they talk a lot about um uh you know his musical approach and comparing uh to the howard shore uh the work that he did which is the you know the shadow that's (laughs) looming over uh any Thing, you know, Lord of the Rings music related. Um, and so th- fascinating to hear his, again, like philosophy of music composition and explaining some of the different themes, why he does certain things, things to look out for. Um, uh, they talk about, you know, the costuming, the sets um, and how, you know, different Easter eggs of different, uh, you know, Tolkien uh, story bits and pieces that are there in the background that I didn't notice. And so, yeah, so my, my tip would be, it, it's called, yeah, the, uh, rings, the rings of power, uh, podcast, um, uh, on, uh, Amazon. It's produced by one um, is the, yeah, the, the podcast production company, which I believe is owned by Amazon. Um, so that, that's you so find it on
0: whether or not you liked is, is it on, um, just an audio or is there visuals as well?
1: It's just, it's just audio.
0: Okay. So it'd be on podcast platforms. Yep. It's just audio. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, you should find it. You might have to, I'm not sure if you had to listen to it. I think I couldn't find it on the regular, you know, uh, general podcast platforms. I had to, I I listened to it on, uh, with Amazon Music, which you can get a free account for Amazon Music and then (laughs) listen to it if you do. Um, But yeah, so it was well worth, regardless of what you thought about, the Rings of Power series, it's valuable in and of itself listening to for storytelling, the the, the immense amount of work and care and uh, detail and thought that goes into making not just an adaptation, but any sort of creative uh, world or storytelling. Um, fa- fascinating and definitely will enrich. I'm sure I'll go back and watch the first season before the second season goes out just for consistency sake. So it, it, my, my rewatching will certainly... Be enriched by this uh podcast series so fascinating especially from those of you who are interested in storytelling cinematically um this is so- something i would definitely recommend
0: thank you that's great i didn't know that existed um uh it, for a fantasy sort of thing this time is i sometimes struggle to find fantasy um prequels or series that i actually stick with that I get, you know, I start, oh, I'm not so sure about this. Uh, and one that I will go back to, um, which other people have discovered, of course, is the, the new Netflix Wednesday, um, which is a, a follow on from the Adams family. Now, I just first of all would say that it's not very original in that if you just look in. There's a whole series of magic schools followed on from the sort of Harry Potter-esque world with the sort of Frankenstein, Dracula feel. So the actual school, the Nevermore Academy, I did not find particularly new or, or, or anything like that. What I do is the characterization of Wednesday. The, the show creators are Alfred Goff and Miles Miller. And I heard them being interviewed on the Script Notes podcast. And they're one's American, one's English, clearly very experienced creators of story. Very interesting interview to listen to about how a writer's room works, if that's something you're interested in. But um, I then went and watched it and thought, yeah, this is actually done very well. The story is very good. And I like the fact that Wednesday is, well, she calls herself a little psychopath. She's, and it's quite against type for girls to be cast like that and I like that and there's lots of star power very strong um, pacing um, uh, you know it's just a really good program and fun so with the edge of a gothic horror drama and of course should mention that the um, director is Tim Burton so you you get the Tim Burton feel Um, so yeah, that's my tip is if you're looking for something to try, um, and you haven't already noticed, uh, the Wednesday on series on Netflix is worth, worth a look. See if it is something you like. Now for me, have you, have you watched this Jacob at all?
1: Uh, Yeah, I watched the first. I watched the first episode. I also listened. I I gave a hearty second uh, to your recommendation of the script notes uh, episode. Uh, I I believe the title is "Any Given Wednesday" with the showrunners, and it's yeah, that's worth listening to definitely. I I did watch. Yeah, I watched the pilot. um, The one of the lead males, uh, the the normie, the normal guy. Uh, at the, the Wednesday ends up with the sheriff's son uh, it was a, a co-worker of my wife's at uh, Universal oh. Studios uh, in Hollywood. Right. Uh, so we're watching it there to support him, but it's yeah. So we're, we're we're working our way through that along with several other things uh, that we're kind of weaving in the, and out. So
0: we brought up on the Adams Family because for me it's like, uh, yeah, I was a the, bla- show. the black
1: and white yeah. So I watched, yeah, I watched in in reruns the black and white uh, Adams family uh, series. I was, yeah, I was that was part of my, again, like foundational fundamental okay. <laughs> childhood was the Adams Family and the Munsters, uh, but not, but mostly, yeah, the Adams family. So then the films, um, both of the films um, uh, yeah, uh, big fans of those films. and then now this series, definitely. Uh, in the spirit of uh, and one of my uh, friends uh, helps work on the uh, composition, the music uh, with uh, Danny Elfman for the um, uh, the music for that. So yeah, it's a great, it's a great show. I'm eager to keep watching it, but like you, yeah, I was the, the school itself wasn't original, um, but in in terms of some of the characterization uh, and things that they were doing was certainly, uh, certainly fun uh, and interesting. I think in line with, certainly kind of a spiritual successor to uh some of those earlier adams family stories so yeah de- de- definitely worth, worth watching
0: yeah and it would make a great board game just saying
1: <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. can imagine
0: yeah. your company yeah. up. so um i hope one feels we have done honor to uh, the year of the rabbit brings round and good luck to everybody who is born this year um I'll have to look up what characteristics you're supposed to have. I was sort of expecting it to be turning into something like the Year of the Dragon or whatever. Um, and when I thought it was the rabbit, I thought, oh, no, that's slightly less exciting. But actually, I've really enjoyed thinking about um fantasy creature. So uh, thank you very much, Jacob, for um, yeah, joining in this conversation with me. And we look forward to speaking to everybody next time.
1: Thanks for listening to MythMakers Podcast. Brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. Visit OxfordCentreForFantasy.org to join in the fun. Find out about our online courses, In Person Stays in Oxford, plus visit our shop for great
0: gifts. Tell a friend and subscribe wherever you find your favourite podcasts worldwide.